If we've never met before, my name's Chris. I'm the senior pastor at MLC, and so what that means is I am the biggest cheerleader for Brian Haas. So, um, yeah, I know you love him, and I know, yeah, you can put it, give it a hand for it. And I know your Sunday's not complete without your Brian Haas fix. Mine isn't either. Um, he's preaching at Forsyth Campus for me, so you can watch him online this week and, uh, and, and wish him well. And I'm, one thing I want to let you know about, the, the best week ever, uh, it, it's a really big deal for us. This is our first time to do it here at our Dawson location. First time we've had a building to do it. It'd be weird to do it in a movie theater. So uh, we have a building. We're doing our best week ever. If you go, what is that? It's our version of Vacation Bible School, and it is awesome. Uh, we, are, we are sold out uh, at Forsyth. We've got a few spots left here. Um, but if you've never been a part of it, it is really cool uh, to see Jesus uh, change lives uh, in these kids in that week, to see them visibly change from day one to day four. It's a really cool thing. And uh, it is my favorite week uh, of the year at our church, just to see kids run around everywhere. So uh, sign up, show up, volunteer, and see Jesus change lives. Now, if you don't know me well, I've got four kids. Their ages are 10, 8, 6, and 2, so they're all little we're in the middle of baseball and golf and dance and piano and, and all that stuff. And it's a really busy time, but, but really fun. And my oldest son, Daniel, who's 10, just finished spring baseball. Uh, and, and he's my kid that'll play any sport with the ball. And so he just finished baseball. And the beginning of the season was interesting because we switched to a different uh, ballpark location in Forsyth County. And a different team, different coach. And if you've ever had kids, you know, switch teams. Uh, it's, it's a unique first practice. You're meeting the parents and the coach and trying to size everybody up. And, and so it's the first practice, like a Tuesday night, drop him off, meet the coach, parents. Well, I've got a couple of hours to kill, so I'm, I'm walking around this, um, this baseball park looking at the different, different fields, and I come across this sign. And I see this sign, and they had this sign posted um, all across the, the baseball area. And so I, wanna, I brought a picture of this sign, so let me show you this sign. These are kids... This is a game, coaches are volunteers, umpires are human, and you do not play for the Braves. <laughs> now, this sign was only facing the parents. It was not in the dugouts, it was not in the field, it was facing the, the, the sides and the stands where the parents were because the, 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 the ball field people, the maker of the sign, they know what we know, that every now and then parents lose their perspective and thus get their priorities completely out of order when it comes to Little League Baseball. So what the sign makers were doing, they were reminding parents, hey, just a quick reminder, you are a parent watching 10-year-olds play baseball. You are not watching multi-million dollar athletes play. Thus, get your priorities in order. And so what's important is uh, sportsmanship and, and hustle and fundamentals and teamwork Reminding parents, grandparents, you're a full-grown adults watching little kids play baseball. Make sure your priorities are in order. Just a reminder, there are no major league scouts here watching your 10-year-old play. And, it, and it's a reminder because they know what you and I know is that our perspective, it shapes our priorities. But all too often, we forget that we're parents watching little kids play, and thus we get our priorities out of order. Now, if you haven't been to a little league game in a while, it's an interesting dynamic. And let me just tell you what the kids really care about, really three main things. Number one, they're doing their very best to hit the ball. Number two, they're doing their very best to catch and to feel the ball. And number three, they're doing their very best to perfect their floss dance in the outfield. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, you'll, you'll see it. It's this weird phenomenon. So that's what they care about. 
But we as parents, as spectators, my goodness, we get so overwhelmed and overworked that that, you know, 18-year-old umpire missed the call or that coach that's a volunteer didn't, you know, make the right play or whatever. And so it's a reminder, hey, here's your perspective. Get your priorities in order. And you've seen this. Parents get upset. Coaches get upset. And then somebody, there's usually one, and there's usually only one, was somebody with some common sense that when it's all said said and done, they go, hey, in the grand scheme of things, you know, this game, it really didn't matter much. In the grand scheme of things, the fact the umpire missed the call, you know, it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, the fact that this game was lost is not that big a deal. And they're the person with common sense reminding us, going, hey, get your perspective right, and let's get our priorities in order. And you know this, and I know this inherently, but I think we forget. But our emotions, they are valuable commodities And we should spend them on things that matter. My emotions, your emotions, happy, sad, frustrated, intense, those are valuable commodities, limited resources in our lives. We should spend them on things that matter. But the truth is, and you know this and I know this, that oftentimes we don't. We, we place value on things that, that should not have value. And the reason why is our perspective, our grand scheme is completely out of order. And so we're going to answer the question today is, well, what really is that grand scheme that says this is important and this is not important? What perspective of my life should shape the priorities and how I work and how I live and how I play and how I go to school? What perspective shapes my priorities? And we're going to look at a fascinating story in the Bible today. We're in the middle of a sermon series, both here at Dawson and in Forsyth, called The Greatest Stories Never Told. Greatest stories ever told. And the whole idea is that we want to look at those stories that you've never heard of before, or maybe you heard once, but forgot they were in the Bible. So the big stories you know, you know, Moses and, and the, the Ten Plagues crossing the Red Sea, David and Goliath, Jesus feeding the 5,000, awesome stories. But there are some really cool stories in the Bible that you don't know about, or maybe you forgot that they were there. And so we're looking at a story today. A not-so-famous story, but it's right next to, like, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and it all revolves around the same central character. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you have heard, either in Sunday school or small group or a preacher, you've heard the story, Jonah and the whale? Just by a show of hands? Okay, cool. For you theologians of the room, Jonah and a really big fish. Two, one here, one here. Okay. So Jonah the whale, Jonah the big fish. You know that story. You've heard it. Maybe you know, saw it on a felt board growing up. There's a story right next to it. It's called Jonah and the plant. Jonah and the plant. Same guy. Instead of a fish, his story revolves around the plant. He completely gets his priorities out of order. So if you've got a Bible, I need you to grab it. Go to the book of Jonah. It's tucked back there in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, go to table of contents, find it. Uh, But Jonah, we're going to start in in chapter 3. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you a quick story, recap of Jonah. God told Jonah to go to to Nineveh and preach. Jonah goes, ain't no way. He heads the opposite way on a boat. Big storm comes, and all the sailors are going, what is going on? And Jonah goes, hey, this is my bad. It's my fault. And they're like, what do we need to do? They're like, oh, just throw me overboard. So, boop, they throw him overboard. The seas are calm. He sinks, really big fish, boop, swallows him up. He's in there three days, three nights. He's praying. On the third day, the fish spits him out on the shore. And so he walks into town, smell like sushi and all that kind of stuff. 
So he walks into town to preach. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his sermon that he preached in less than three seconds. His entire message, less than three seconds. And the reason why is because his entire sermon consisted of eight words. You're going to see just how little his heart was in this sermon. In, in Jonah chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 4. And here's what it says. It says, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, and here's what he shouted. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's his whole sermon in eight words. Basically, he shows up and goes, hey, 40 days from now, it's not going to go well. See you later. That's his whole message. He didn't really care. His heart wasn't in it. But God moved. God used an eight-word sermon, changed the heart of the entire city. They are sorrow, they repent, they show their sorrow before God. God sees it, God shows his mercy and his compassion and love and withholds his judgment. And so this should be great news, but Jonah is ticked off and irritated. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And he's frustrated because what he said would happen did not. He was proven wrong, and God asked him a question. Verse 4, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? And Jonah doesn't answer. And then God gives him an object lesson, verse 5. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He wanted to see the show. He thought, man, cer certainly something will happen. I didn't do all this for nothing. So he sits back to see what will happen. Look what happens in verse 6. It says, and the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away, and as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. You're going, Jonah, you're kind of a drama queen. Like, dude, it, it's, a, it's a plant. And he goes, I'd rather be dead. Now, before we harp on Jonah too much, too much, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever had uh, the summertime, your air conditioner decide to take the summer off? Just by a show of hands, you've experienced that, okay? Now, you don't need to raise your hand to this, but my, my guess is you were not very holy people during that time. You're frustrated, you're hot, you're tired. Brianna and I have had, for whatever reason, God has allowed our marriage to be plagued with air conditioning issues. And years ago, we lived in Texas, our air conditioner went out for three weeks straight, Parts wouldn't come in and all this stuff. Now, Texas is hot. Georgia people think Georgia's hot. It's not. I hear people go, oh, it's hot, Atlanta. It's not. It's, it's sweet. You try. You think it's really hot. It's not. South Texas, when it's 55 degrees in a row of triple-digit heat, it's hot. 
Our air conditioner went out for three weeks. She was pregnant on top of all of this. It was brutal. By the grace of God, you know, nobody, you know, I was not acting like a pastor during those moments. It was hot, tired, frustrated. Jonah's in the exact same spot. What he said, what happened, didn't. There was a plant. He was happy. Now it's dead. He's frustrated. God asked him another question. Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And this time Jonah answers, yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Like he doubles down on his frustration. God's asking his questions. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you? And Jonah goes, yeah, it is. I'm frustrated and I'm ticked off. And then God reminds him of his perspective on earth, verse 10. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God's going, Jonah, seriously, it's a plant, man. It's, it's a plant and a worm. You got more upset over the plant than you did the fact that 120,000 people were saved. And God asked him this question very differently. See, the first two questions, it was, Jonah, should you feel sorry? Jonah, should you be angry? The third question, God goes, shouldn't I feel sorry for the city? And what's interesting is the book ends without us knowing how Jonah answers. But God reminds him of his perspective going, Jonah, I care more about the people of the city than I do this stupid plant that brought you shade and coverage. And I think all too often we get our priorities out of order. Jonah's priorities was, man, I was proven wrong. My comfort is gone, and I'm upset. God's going, you're missing the perspective and the priorities. I care about the people. I view the people more than I I care about the plant. Jonah, you should do the same. So here's what I want you to grasp from this whole crazy, weird little story in the Bible, and it's simply this, is to let a heavenly perspective shape your earthly priorities. Let a heavenly perspective shape your earthly priorities. Now, here's the the weird thing about this. Like, it's really weird, the whole plant thing. But what's even stranger is that Jonah has just gone through a near-death experience. A near-death experience. Usually, when a person goes through a near-death experience, their priorities change for the better for at least a short period of time. Like, he was thrown over into the sea. Surely he was going to be dead. He was swallowed by this fish in there for three days. He gets spit out. Certainly you would think, gosh, you know, the air smells cleaner and food should taste better. He should care about the right things. But in this moment, his priorities go back to selfishness. Now, just by a show of hands, and I didn't ask the first service this, but maybe your kindred spirits. How many of you are like me? You've had a near-death experience, and it's usually because of something stupid that has gone on in your life. Just by a show of hands, is there anybody that you're going, one, one person, two, all right, two people, all right, and the camera guy, cool, all right, (laughs) you're a safe crowd. So I don't know, apparently it's just me. I've been a part of a lot of stupid things where you're going, I probably should be dead multiple times by now. And one of the ones I was thinking about, I had this idea of uh, riding in a guy for a hobby flew stunt planes, all right? He wasn't like a professional, but he had a stunt plane. And so I was like, I'd like to ride in your stunt plane. He's like, seriously? I was like, yeah, okay. So um, 
I get in the stump plane, and it's a Czechoslovakian stump plane with a propeller. And, uh, and I get on there, and on the dash, and I'm not making this up, it says, this airplane is not approved by the FAA. And I looked at it, I was like, what's this? He's like, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's really not approved, but, but, but we can fly it. I was like, oh, that sounds great. So we start doing some stunts. And uh, he does this thing called uh, a hammerhead. If you're a pilot, you know what this is. It's where you go straight up, and then you somersault in the air. And so he goes, we're going to do a hammerhead. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. So we go straight up, and he kicks it over to the left. And when he does, the airplane stalls. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in an airplane that stalls, but what that means is it just it quits working. That's what that means. And then you just start falling. And, and if you're not a Christian, you'll become one when your airplane stalls. Like, it's just... <laughs> It's like a new ministry, like stalling for Jesus. And so anyway, you'll find Jesus pretty quick in a stalled airplane. We stall out, and, and we're falling. And it's one of those moments where we're going, Lord, this could be it. Well, he fires the engine back up, and he, he pulls out of it, and we're flying around. He goes, oh, man, I forgot. <laughs> and I was like, I don't really want my pilot or my doctor saying I forgot. He goes, I forgot. This airplane has more power to the right rather than the left. And I was He's like, let's do it again. I was like, okay. And so we go straight up, kick it over to the right. This time the air engine stays on and we land and I change my pants and go on about my day. (laughs) But it's that moment where you get out of the airplane and like you're kissing the ground. The air smells cleaner. The food tastes better. You just love people. Traffic doesn't matter to you for a short amount of time. And for Jonah, he swallowed by a fish, gets and cares more about the plant than he did the 120,000 people there. But I think all too often we miss the perspective that God has on earth. God goes, I care for the city. I care for people. I, I care for human beings. And allow, allow a heavenly perspective to begin to shape your priorities. And so what that means is when you begin to prioritize your life, whether it's your calendar or your budget or your time, just simply ask the question, God, how do you view this? And fill in the blank. God, how do you view work? God, how do you view money? God, how do you view vacations? God, how do you view marriage and family? God, how do you view these things? And let that perspective of, in, of my life begin to shape these priorities. Let me be able to look at the things in the right perspective, and that will say, this is important, this is not. The grand scheme is God's plan for your life and for mine. And the grand scheme of life goes, this is important, this is not God's plan, God's perspective for your life and mine. That's what begins to shape our priorities. It's not about us, it's not about our comfort, it's not about us being right as it was for Jonah. It's going, no, 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 God, let me take a bigger view, show me your perspective, and I'll shape my priorities accordingly. Now, I get, this is a weird, strange story. And you get Jonah in the well, you've heard that, but you're going, Jonah in the plant And you see a man, a prophet of God, literally care more about a plant than people. You're going, well, that's strange. I would never do that. And and so I wanted to illustrate it for you today. Now, coming here to Dawson and preaching for Brian, I know I've got to have a prop, all right? Like, you know, Brian doesn't go anywhere without a good sermon prop, all right? So there's, there's that. And so when you see Brian next time, you can go, hey, Chris brought a prop. So... This is, let me just illustrate it for right now. So you all uh, got up, you got dressed, you came here. You could have slept in, you could have gone to the lake, you could have barbecued, but you decided to come to church, and I appreciate that. Now, how weird would it be 
if, uh, if you guys walk in here and you sing some songs and you sit down and I go, hey, thank you guys so much for coming to Middle State Austin. And then I just turn my back and I just start working on this plant. And I water a little bit and I kind of trim it up a little bit. And, uh, and I just keep on doing this. And I don't pay any attention to you. And I just kind of sit there and, and you're sitting there and I trim some more, that kind of stuff. And I just kind of do that. And whoa, whoa. <laughs> That's the last service. It can die after this. All right. So. <laughs> glad it went at 930. Anyway, all right, so, so I'm here. Now I go, Shh, I'm glad you guys are here, but this plan is so important. So for the next 30 minutes, I do nothing but just kind of trim it up, and I water it and take care of it, make it nice and neat. For 30 minutes, I do this and ask you guys, just sit there quietly. Now, if this is your first time ever to this church, you're going to go, that is the weirdest church I have ever been to. Like crazy. You're going, what are, how crazy? Well, we sang some songs. It was nice. We could not clap on beat, but that's another story. And, and then what happened? Well, then the preacher gets up there, and, and he waters a plant for 30 minutes. Well, what do you mean? Well, literally, he paid more attention to the plant than the people sitting in the auditorium. And you go, well, that's, that's weird. It is. And you're going, Chris, I would never care more about a plant than I would a person. No, you wouldn't. But there are some things that I do think we value more than people. There are some quote-unquote plants in our lives that we'll place a higher value on than the relationships God has brought into our life. First one's about it's money. We care more about money. As long as we make more money and the end begins to justify the means, we care more about the money, making it, guarding it, spending it, than we do the relationships in our lives. Your schedule. Every second of every day is planned out in your life, and you're happy as long as it's going according to your schedule. But the instant a wrinkle is thrown in your schedule, you become another person. You get tense and frustrated and irritated. If it doesn't go according to your schedule, the people around you become collateral damage. Your appearance. You got to look a certain way. You got to drive a certain car. You got to live in a certain neighborhood. You got to go to a certain school. You care more about those things than genuine, real relationships in your life. Your social, your career position. Your social or your career position. You will step on somebody's throat in order to climb the next rung of the corporate ladder. And when you get to a position of power or influence, you go, then I'll make up for the relationships that I've killed. Then I'll make up for the people that I've hurt. You care more about your social or your career position. Being right. Being right. And you would rather be right than save a relationship. You'd rather die on whatever hill that you want to stick that stake in the ground going, I'm right. You probably are, but you've killed the relationship. And some of you, you've severed family relationships because of a conversation you've had around politics. You're going, I'm right on this stance or this issue. You probably are, but you've just ruined the relationship with your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your brother, your sister. But you were right. And you care more about being right and proving your point than saving the relationship or the friendship. Control. You've got such a tight grip on controlling your life and your family and all the people around you that the instant it starts slipping through your fingers, you become another person. And all of a sudden, you value control more than the people in your life. You're going, Chris, that's nice. That's a nice set of little flashcards, Chris, but you haven't really hit me. I don't really care about those things. Chris, I care more about people than I do any of those things. You know what? I've got one last little card here. Now, this card right here will get about 95% of you in the room. If you haven't been, you know, 
convicted or going, that's me. This, in fact, I probably could have just shown this card right here and been done with it because I think so many of us care more about this than the people in our lives. And here it is. <laughs> Got them. <laughs> Your phone. You know, you've seen it. People care more about looking at a digital screen than they do another human face. I didn't get an amen at 9.30 either. That's all right. Don't worry about it. We care more about a digital screen than another human face or whatever it is, right? It's that plan that you go, man, I value this above human beings. We look at Jonah and go, that's silly. Yeah, it is, but we value a phone over human beings. We value money over human beings. We value control or a schedule over human beings. It's as silly as valuing a plant, And God is reminding Jonah, going, listen, dude, you're missing it. There's 120,000 people that have been saved. You should be rejoicing, but you're so upset because the worm ate your stupid little plant. You value plants over people. And God goes, you're missing it. Shouldn't I care about the city? And the story ends without us knowing how Jonah answers. And so what do you do with all of this? This week, here's what I would encourage you to do for just the next seven days. And just for the next seven days and then... You know, Brian will be back next week. But for the next seven days, just try this. Value people above plants. Value people above plants. This week, you're going to be so tempted to allow control or your phone or your appearance or your schedule or money. You're going to allow this plant to creep into your life and become more important than the relationships, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates. And this week, just for the next seven days, and see if your life doesn't get that much better when you begin to value relationships and human beings above the quote-unquote plant in your life. And as you begin to walk through life, just say, Lord, for far too long, this plant, whatever it is for you, it's different for you than it is for me, but this has become more important than relationships. And so, Lord, starting today and every day, allow my perspective to be one of a heavenly perspective, and God, allow my priorities to be shaped accordingly. And how much different would your world be? Kids, grandkids, coworkers, classmates, friends, random people on the street when you're going, Lord, my value, my, my, my priority should be the people in my life, not the plants that bring me comfort or prove me right. I'll finish with this, and it's what Jesus would say, the same thing in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, it's in the middle of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus said the same thing, seek God above all else. Seek his perspective, and he'll give you everything else that you need. Everything else will fall into place. And I, I preach this at every wedding that I officiate. Every wedding is kind of the, the same, whether it's big or small, or, you know, flowers and bride and groom and tuxedos and all that kind of stuff. And when we get to the end of it, you know, I look at the bride and groom and go, and listen, you know, it's a very nice wedding. You're about to have a very nice reception. But listen, if you hear nothing else, and, and you probably, it's all a blur, but if you hear nothing else, Make Jesus first and foremost in your lives and your marriage, and everything else will fall into place. 
Seek God first and foremost, and then houses and cars and insurance and 401ks and vacations and to move or to not move, all of that stuff falls into place. But all too often we get it out of order and we seek those things first. We seek the plants and we love them and we hug them and they're so important to us. And God's going, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You value the plants versus the things of God. Seek God above all else. Seek a heavenly perspective and all those priorities will fall into place. Jonah's an interesting story. It's one we look at and go, man, that, that's weird. Cared more about a plant than a city of people. But the question for all of us, what are those things in our life that we value above people and lives and relationships? And what if today and every day we said, God, give us a perspective that you view the world with and let me value the people above the plants, above anything else that's centered around me and selfishness. Let me pray. They have head bowed and every eye closed. I can be real honest with you that this sermon is so much easier to preach than it is to practice. Golly, it's, it's so easy to look at Jonah and go, ah, who would ever do that? But if you take a look at your own life and I take a look at my life, man, all of us have that plant that we love, that we care for, that we often value above people. And so, Lord, my prayer is for all of us today, we would take a hard look at our lives, we reevaluate and say, I'm putting people above this. Jesus, I thank you for the reminder to seek the kingdom of God above all else and all these things will be added unto us. God, that's my prayer that you drive that into the depths of our heart and our soul today and that our perspective would be one of yours, God, and our priorities would fall in line accordingly. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb and ask these things in your name. Amen.